Thank you for tuning in to this message from Kingdom Airs International, headquarters located in Flagstaff, Arizona. All right, all right. It is time. It's officially time. Are you waiting in anticipation for what's about to be released? (laughs) Half nervous, half excited. I think I feel the same thing. Like, I can't wait, and I'm like, oh, gosh, they're going to tear more stuff out of my life. (laughs) And it's going to be amazing. And, oh, my gosh. Okay. So we're going to take a little trip back a few months, okay? Is everybody ready? Facebook is on and live and tuning in and ready to go. So we're going to honor the time that we have set aside to dive in as a family. And uh, I want to take us back just a little bit. So in the month of December, between December and January was the month of Tibet. So our Gregorian calendar tells us December, January. The Hebraic calendar is Tibet. And in that time, we were given the opportunity to purify our blood and recognize wrong alignments. What came along with that? Yes, walking in his bloodline, and then it started to come out. We became aware that Hasatan has a table that we may have been dining at for a long time. Remember that? And then moving into Shavat, which is middle, it goes between January and February. We were given the opportunity to recognize if what we are operating in is producing life or death, and to develop the plan to sustain the generations. Then moving into this month, or at the beginning of February, uh, what I really wanted to go back and just kind of look at again and just be reminded of as we move into our family dinner discussion, that um, at the beginning of February, at the beginning of this month, that uh, we went into worship and we talked about, let me see, I got their names written. If I don't say them right, just go with it. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, right? who we all have known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? And Ellen brought up that they were given these new names in order to kind of help them to forget who they were, to kind of just help them, if that, I mean, you know, help them. It was, this is for your good. But in the long run, it was to take away where they came from. It was to remove all that, where they actually came from, who they actually were. It was the removal of who they were created to be when they were given these new names, this false God that they were named after. And so as they stood their ground and walked in their original intent, we know the story. They were put in the fire. And from that, because they were not willing to allow anything to get in the way between them and Yahweh, he was then able to turn the heart of a king and change a nation, right? And so as we have walked through this month, we got to step into an anyways meeting with Megan and Derek, where they were able to, (laughs) uh, I'm giggling because the board was the best thing of just shifting, like, let's take this thing and we're just going to shift it. Let's turn it together. Um, But in that shifting into Adar, we talked about... um, like what we're moving into is our, our true identity being revealed. That in this month, our curses in our life are overturned. That the decrees that are set against us this month are broken. Who remembers what happened last week? 
tapped into heritage, where we're beginning to see the things that you've been operating in, the name you've been given as a Christian is not actually who you are. That actually isn't your identity. That's actually not what you're supposed to be operating under. And so this month, we get to establish the, the real identity that's hidden in, those, in that secret supply line that we get to tap into as we tap into heaven. And we get to find out um, really where we come from, not what we've been named or how we've been told to operate, but we get to find out who we really are because what we are operating in or what we have right now as Christians, right, it's beginning to be demolished. That was passed down to us. How many of us want to lay down what was passed down to us, what was passed down to you, the God that was given to you by your forefathers and really encounter him and, and know him in an intimate way? So we were given the opportunity to take notice and break cycles of the things that have been standing in between us and Yahweh. So we can move back into our original intent. So just reminding ourselves, right? That original intent, the, the root of where we are supposed to be tapped into and supposed to be obtaining life from is Hebrew. Hebrew. Did anybody last week when I heard dad say, uh, Jesus wasn't a Christian, were you like, he wasn't? I, know, I knew that, but oh my gosh, like he wasn't a Christian. So it kind of, the reality of thinking about him showing up on earth, if he saw me, would he be like, that's a Hebrew, like we are in the same DNA. That's a Hebrew. That's a Hebrew right there. Look at how she's operating. Look at the things she's celebrating. Look at what she's tapping into. Or would he be like, what's a Christian? You're a Christian? What do you, tell me about this. What is this Christian thing you speak of? But beginning to tear that down to find what our original intent is and tapping into that, that we would know him through covenant, through intimacy. And so I'm just thankful that as mom and dad come up here tonight, that they're, um, they're just forerunning. I, it's just so crazy to me to think about. I wanted to go back and review the months because what is so crazy to me is that we are, we are being trained and we are following in a process of getting us back to our original intent. And we get to follow a spiritual mother and father who are willing to just, just like practice the crazy. Like practice, like who does that? Like who shows up at a church service like, so we're gonna demolish Christianity. You are a Hebrew. Jesus was not a Christian. Do you know the one Yeshua, this one that I speak of, that does not come from a Christian religion? And so as we go back and begin to tap into that heritage, I, I do want to encourage everybody, get out your notebooks. When we talk about dinner table conversations saving lives, like write down what you are obtaining in these services and go back and look over them. I know for me, last week's service, I'm on the fifth time of watching it. I'm like halfway through my fifth time of watching live because it's, there's so much. And then I go back and I'm like, oh, I didn't even hear that last week or I heard that and that didn't, make, that didn't mean the same thing. So write these things down and go back and, and eat of them and <laughs> look at the all, dive into it day after day. You're going to find something new. You're going to find something that, a newer revelation that comes out of it. So tonight, mom and dad, as you guys come up, we just, we just want to honor you and thank you for, um, 
for what you are willing to forerun. I know for me, I feel like this just celebration in my heart for what is coming. Like we have been, we've been exposed to the bloodline we've been operating in. We've been exposed to the table we've been eating at. We've been exposed to all of these things like the reality of what I was passed down to be able to lay that down to then obtain where I really come from, where we are really supposed to be grafted into. So we just thank you guys for all that you're willing to forerun for us and, and um, dive into to like bring us out of that place of religion. Am I making a really bad face? That you're willing to uh, forerun all of that. We just really thank you guys and honor you and we love you. I was trying to, and then it was like picking up your voice. It was. I just wanted to add to what Missy was kind of talking about, and because sometimes we can do things and we can kind of get in a routine of things and possibly kind of lose the the gravity of or the relevance of it, because some of the most powerful moments in our parenting has occurred or taken place while we're eating dinner together because there's a lot of times where like you kind of just get to recalibrate and come back to family identity right as everybody goes out and goes about their way and deals with stuff at work or at school or whatever but when you come back to the dinner table you laugh right you you cry together you you just you identify as a family. And so that's, that's why we're doing this because it's a time to be able to circle back. I mean, there's times when, you know, our kids are out in the culture that we live in today and they're getting confronted with just an overwhelming amount of just identity. That's not him, not of him. And we get to come back to the table and recalibrate and strengthen our kids as they go back out. Right. And so that's a lot of the reason why we do this. And with what we're getting into, there's a level of appropriation that we get from our culture. There's things that just you just assume is part of your identity because the culture is so strong. Right? Even in the Christian culture, mm-hmm. there's things that you identify with because you've just appropriated it because it's such an overwhelming culture. Um, just to give an example... Real quick before we get into tonight, um, you know, we've, I've had talks with my kids about African-American culture and things that they may seem is a part of their identity or something they should agree with because the culture now associated with that will try to get them to appropriate certain things associated with being mixed kids or or african-american that that part of their identity and there's so many things that i have to say no no this is not something that you should align yourself with as an african-american as an interracial child right Mm -hmm. right matilda there's Mm -hmm. certain things right as as uh I don't want to get silly, but there's certain things that (laughs) the culture says, if you're African-American, you (laughs) should align with this, Mm -hmm. A, B, and C. And a lot of times I say, no, no, let me take you back to the Mm -hmm. beginning of how how it got to this place so Mm -hmm. you can see why this is wrong. Mm -hmm. Okay? And there's a lot of things in the Christian culture, and people may debate, well, you know, 
the name Christian is a badge of honor, right? And we'll probably talk about the scripture tonight. Um, there's some things I could liken that to culturally that, that it just doesn't sit right with me, okay? And so a lot of what we're talking about tonight, or we may get into, is just there's, there's a Christian culture that we have, just by being a part of it, have appropriated certain things into our identity. And some of those things, you have to really go back and dig deep to see why those things don't line up. Okay, and that's why we're going through this process, so. Mm. I, we got three questions, is that right, on the Vox that came in? So we're going to start with those since that's what we have, and then we'll go from there and open it up for questions. You're free to ask questions from the latest things that, that Yahweh's been releasing, or like he said, there are times where we have to go back at the dinner table and to realign because, because when you get a new truth, not new to him, but new to you. So when you have that new revelation, sometimes you have to go back to what you've been taught and filter that through with your new revelation. So it's constantly walking through what we've been through from the position of where we are. Not that you're swinging back to that place, but you're going back to that place through that filter to be able to get more revelation to continually walk out that revelation. So obviously what, what I mean by that is tonight it's free game to talk about. I mean, if you think about it, we started off this year with anyway stuff. Some of that stuff was foundational things of just where, who are we? What are we? Why are we, where did we come from? Sometimes it's good to just come back to the dinner table and be like, do you know about your grandma? You, you haven't heard about Isabel. You don't even know why you're acting the way you're acting in a good way. You don't even know where you could, have you heard our story? Have you heard your bloodline? Have you heard where you've come from? Because if you're in this family, you come from a bloodline, not only from heaven, but also on earth. Because everything that's mine is yours. So that means that everything that you have is handed to you. So sometimes it's coming back to the dinner table to say, where did you come from and who are you? Why do you stand for the things that you stand for? Why are we doing family and not church? Why can Derek be so alive when he gets on Vox and goes, that's why church doesn't work. What is happening is because church doesn't work. Yes. Well, then what are we? Why are we doing family? Why do we call ourselves covenant keepers? Why do we stand on some of these things that keep us strong to be able to move forward in the things that we're moving into? Amen? So we're going to answer, uh, a, does anybody just want to read the questions instead of me going through Vox? The questions that came out on Vox, do you have them? Okay, I'll get to your question after we do the ones on Vox. I know one of them was from Gabby. Yeah. Oh, did you want to? Do you want to answer? Just ask yours, Gabby. Sure. So, <clears throat> mine was just wondering about the like is <clears throat> theology versus theonomy. Is that like like when we started? I started making like a a T chart. So, <clears throat> are those two things kind of like the two tables that we've been learning about? Or is it something where those two things, like, together provide a fullness? Um, so I, when I said that, it wasn't in terms of, like, one is the Father's table and one's Satan's table. 
Um, they're not like good and bad or right and wrong or anything like that. But when we talk about cultural appropriation, when you think about the Christian culture, theology is paramount, right? Your speculation on who God is, is paramount. You, line, you will align yourself with certain groups of people based on your speculation, your theology of God, right? And so I was just trying to point out as one of the things to, for us to realize, I, I, I guess I just, it's like many people may not know that there's another dynamic outside of theology. And when we talk about our Hebrew roots and you talk about the Judaic element they operate in theonomy, not theology, meaning everything about the Torah and the Father is so self-evident that they respond to it. They don't necessarily speculate and develop different doctrinal stances about it, if that makes sense. But with that being said, I don't think you can, you can know God and not speculate about him. That's probably impossible. Um, but as Christians, right, in our culture, theology just kind of takes over. That's just kind of our mode of operation, whereas the Judaic root or the element is it's just kind of a different mode of operation. So just giving that kind of perspective. So another, another way to look at this is that ultimately what we've known as Christians is the only concept is theology. And based on your theology is whether or not you can run in that tribe. If you are Pentecostal versus Baptist versus um, whatever, all the divisions of Christianity is all being divided out off of theology. One way to look at this is that you've got truth and then you have the theology about the truth and then you kind of identify within that theology. Okay, and that's what we're used to. This is the truth that I believe about the word. Here's the thing. Christianity has to operate off of theology because Christianity, if it started, right, 300 years later, that has to be speculation on truth. Theonomy is a response to the word interpreting itself, which means that there's no speculation, essentially, because the Torah is the Torah. There's only one truth. That's just the way that they view it. So they respond out of that truth. Whereas Christians have to go through a process where you have to, is that true or not? Is that my theology or not? Then if I believe in that theology, then I'll respond out of that. So we're like one generation removed or one theology removed or one truth removed is one way to put it. Whereas theonomy is there's no other, there's no other option but truth. So I'm going to respond out of that truth. So Hebraic thinkers are naturally operating out of theonomy, and we don't even know that that's an option because we are taught, do you have discernment? Do you know about witchcraft? Do you know if that pastor is actually in alignment or not? Like, right, there's all these things that you have to question that then have, well, what's my theology? Do they believe in replacement theology or not? Do they, right? So there's no thought process. It's just what is the theology? I align with that theology. And so then you're basically one step removed from truth versus could we get to a point as Hebrew thinkers that you don't have to be in a speculation mode, but you are so ingrained in your culture that you know the Torah and the word interprets itself that you then respond from that truth. There's no question. You just respond from that truth because that's the truth. <clears throat> Think of it this way. 
If you have children, do you want your children to be expert theologians mm. on what you say? <laughs> or, right, do you want them to speculate? Let me see if, I, if that lines up. Do I agree? How would, would my brother respond? Right? You just want them to respond to what you say. <laughs> right? So the response so on the good. theology side is speculation. The response on the theonomy side is walking out the truth that you believe is self-evident. So let's make this really practical. So when we're talking about raising kids, right? And you guys have all, we've all known this. One of the uh, characteristics for kingdom heirs, if we don't know this, you're going to know it now, is first time obedience. I do not look at my kids and say, on the count of four, one, two, it's do this, yes, mom, or go to the bathroom. Okay, it's it's first time. <laughs> Get it, clap. Matilda. Can, yeah. <laughs> Come on. It is first time obedience <laughs> to the point where you can't. I have had so many people try to curse the teenage years. Oh, you just wait. It is the joy of my life to have Jalen by my side because he is characterized by first time obedience and the trust that's there to send him out into the world is because I did not give him a culture of try it on four. Maybe you'll listen to me on four because that was never an option. So what's happening here is maybe first time, third time, fifth time, seventh time obedience, whereas this is the Torah is the Torah. It's first time obedience. It's yes, dad. That's very different than Christianity. Christianity is like, why don't you pray about that? We're not, not that saying, I'm saying. We're not <laughs> saying speculation in and of itself is bad, but it's become the culture. It's become yes. paramount. And we're not right? saying don't pray about it, but we're just trying to bring <laughs> some cultural shifts, especially when that culture is so strong, you kind of have to come in with a right punch to be able to understand that there's another side to things instead of what we've always known. Everyone, Did that answer the question? Everyone picking up what they're laying down? Hold yep. on real quick. Is it but, along the same lines as this? Hold on. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is theonomy is relational and theology is black and white in the sense of like, because when you were talking about like theory and, and what you believe is who you align with is which church you go to versus theonomy is like, you can have relationship with everyone. <laughs> Does that, is that not what we're talking about? I think that that makes sense, but I also think you could say it the other way. I was thinking that theonomy is black and white because the Torah is, it is what it is. Whereas theology, based on the relationship that you have, you can decide what you like. You don't like this pastor, go cling over here. You don't like the music over here, go to another church. Whereas the Torah is the Torah, you're Jew, it's Jew, is Jew. I'm not saying that that's how they ended up. The reason why Yeshua ended up coming is because Judaism ended up going into a million different sects as well. Orthodox Jew. There was all the different, you know what I mean? And that's, that's what ends up happening when you become third, fourth, fifth, sixth removed. But, but the Israelites, it was hit, that was the word of God, which is relational, but also black and white. So that's why I said that. <laughs> Any other questions on theonomy and theology? All right. Who wants to read the next question that came in on Kingdom Airs? We got it right here. Okay. 
when I was raised Christian, what I learned was I was born a sinner, so a Gentile, and then got saved and replaced Jews as now his chosen. Is the process of being a new man, like we talked about last week, um, is the process I'm born a sinner, a Gentile, then adopted as a daughter through salvation, then I'm grafted in as part of the new man that is rising forth, is that... Like, is that a comparison or a contrast, I should say? Yes. So what was so amazing about the opening of this, which we didn't plan, he's talking about mixed kids. So what's happening is, is it's like the story of Ruth and Boaz. So it's not that we, it's not that Ruth replaced Boaz she was grafted into that bloodline. She was grafted into him. Therefore, through him, the kinsman redeemer, she was able to have access to be able to be grafted in. But when she was, what birthed out of the union, one new man came the Messiah. So it, what we, 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 we uh, shoot ourselves in the foot when we say, I'm now the chosen people. I was born a sinner, saved by grace. So now... As a Gentile, we don't, need the Jew, we don't need the Jews because I have replaced them. I'm the chosen. It's like a wife operating without her other half. It, it, or it would be like, um, uh, is that one way to explain it? One new man would be half a man. So, it, it's, so that's why replacement doesn't work, but it, but it is an aspect of you being grafted in for sure. And, and, and this, is, this is too deep for tonight, but just to make sure that I'm clear, sinner doesn't necessarily mean Gentile either. It just means, Gentile means not a Jew, not from Judah. Any questions about that process? If we were raised Christian to believe in replacement theology or the concept of we have no need of them, they missed it, uh, we are Christians because apparently what we've understood the gospel to be is Judaism, uh, missed it, which is why Yeshua came, and we're the ones that love Yeshua, so now we as Christians are here to save the world. And it never says that the church is the light. So we have to reconcile that if we believe, like, well, we're going to be the light because we're it. We're missing a whole aspect of the Bible, revelations, the gospel, and all of that. And we're not even understanding. And I thought, uh, sometimes I just want to get the microphone and play it on Vox. But Derek's Vox was so powerful because what he was saying was, could it be that the reason why it says that raising people from the dead are mere milk or that we're supposed to do greater things than he did and we're not seeing those type of miracles because we've operated out of arrogance and pride saying we're it and it's high, low, high, low and it, there's just, we're not, we're not operating out of that place because we, we're missing a whole aspect of the whole gospel. So, any questions? Did you want to play that or? <laughs> no, it's okay. Okay. Get on, Fox. Uh, any questions pertaining to the to that part? Go ahead. Hold on, Linda.
So my question is just, you said the church is not the light. It's because each one of us are the light, the salt and the light? Yes. Individually. Yes. Kind of. <laughs> sort of. Yes. I guess when I say that, it, it, it's... Um, um, when I say that, it's because when I talk about church, a lot of times the culture is, is the Western culture church is here and America is going to save the world. And we're dismissing. And what's going to happen is when revelation starts to play out, we're going to not know there's some things that are going to happen in Israel and it's going to mark the times and we're going to miss it. And we're actually going to speak against if we have that mindset that the church is the light, then we're going to speak against what happens in Israel. We'll actually stop the move of God. We'll be against what it is that he's doing. Because he basically is saying, I set it up this way so that you can be the light. But what is the light? So more of the question is, is what does a light mean? To be a light to the world has been get everyone to be a Christian. And that's not what that's talking about. It's being a light that you actually would provoke your older brother who has lived by the standard to jealousy to be part of that one new man to see the Messiah. Uh, so the light, yes, is our individual, but it's also that one new man on earth is going to call him in. So it's all of us being that, being that light. It's what is the church then essentially, I mean, it's not the church, but it's being one new man, which is Jew and Gentile together. That's the light. But us, our job, right, is to, as Gentiles being grafted in, to not be prideful, not be arrogant, to go in humbly, go in honoring that the root sustains us, the branches don't sustain the root. Through that honor, you provoke them to jealousy. What is that light that you have? Because we have to recognize until they see the light, Nothing's happening. So you can evangelize. All, I mean, we can do church program. I mean, that's what I mean by the church is not the light because you can continue to do that. But if you're operating in anti-Semitism and you're against your elder brother, what? We've missed, we've missed it. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? Any other questions along that line of... Light. Light or the process, Gentile... David, you got a question? Yes. Well, this question goes to talking about um, Jude 3, where we are earnestly to contend in the faith that was given into us. And then it goes into, um, because Jesus, or the Lord, is faith because he was totally faithful to his Father and totally obedient. And in doing so, to put this in relation, faith is a substance and things hoped for, the evidence and things not seen, and that's Hebrews 11.1. 1. And then also taking Hebrews 6, where you just mentioned talking about the elementary principles of this world that we are to move beyond them. That's what we're doing here, is we're moving beyond all this into this faith which has been placed into us, and that's what gives us the Lord or the light in this world. Is that's where we're going to? Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. Yes. Well, and one powerful thing that he said is going beyond, you know, that we are moving. Uh, one thing prophetically is to think about uh, Abraham and in his, 
what he saw when he looked up at the stars? What was it when he said you were given nations? What was it to move beyond? And definitely those elementary things are when we begin to grasp the truth about the whole gospel, we're definitely going to move into those beyond regions. Yeah, just to add to that, um, so I think something that's important about, so Hebrews 11 is like the, he, the heroes of the faith, right? They, they walked out their faith in a way that when you say substance of, the, of things hoped for and not seen, that could characterize their life because they walked in such a way that they didn't see what we're able to see now in the <laughs> Messiah. And so part of the honor in that, in honoring them is because when we recognize that we're grafted into a root, we're grafted into that patriarchy, that bloodline, that type of faith that we would live our lives in such a way that even if God said, you'll never see the promise, would we still walk our faith out in the same way, right? Or would we go, well, I don't know if I want to do that because if I can't see what, what, you, what you have for my children, then I'm not going to do it. Right? That's the type of faith that we're being grafted into, the heroes of the faith in mm-hmm. Hebrews 11, where it says faith is something that you, it's the substance of things hoped for but not seen. Mm-hmm. Right? And we're getting, if we, if we walk in a displacement or a replacement theology, we're cutting ourselves off from those heroes of the faith. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, and that goes into... Uh, what Missy was talking about, the being willing to live the crazy life, you know, and just thinking about that they lived the crazy life, you know? I mean, the promises that they were spoken to, that they had to, and, and yet what grace have we been afforded to see not only Yeshua himself, but also even John having that encounter of giving us what's to come. We get to live, we insert ourselves in the most beautiful time that we have the fullness given to us and yet we'll rob ourselves from the fullness not understanding that fullness. And so just thinking about like being able to live that crazy life is being able to walk like our forefathers, meaning, let me make this practical. It's easy to, it's easy to preach, but let's make it practical. If you never saw the one new man, if you never saw Jews uh, uh, um, come into their fullness, if you never operated as the me'orah, the light of the world, if you never governed the seasons of the times, if we never saw the fullness on this earth, would you be like in two weeks from now when uh, we say, all right, well, if you want to be a me'orah, here's the first step. And then two weeks from now, you're like, I'd rather be a Christian. I, I mean, that's the reality of it. We're, we need to measure ourselves up with the fathers of the faith. When Yahweh would say, yet this to Moses, and Moses would say it to the people, and the people would have to be like, you're the guy. Right? We're going to some promised land with giants and Nephilim, and they're bigger than us, and there's these big old grapes. And, and, and of course, there was grumbling and complaining, and there was the 40 years and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, these were some... These were some fathers of faith. And now we have a culture that goes, if you don't like it, just, it's okay. I'll change the song for you. You can speculate your way out of it. (laughs) Right? You can just. (gasps) No, that's not what the word says. 
right? And then now you've got a theology that says, let me take the word to match my experience. Okay, here's one. I don't believe in healings. Healings don't happen. So I'm going to pull out all the scriptures that says healing isn't for today. It was only for the apostles. What theology is that called? Dispensationalism. I can't even say it. Dispensationism. It's not the right one, but hey, study it for your son, whatever. But I just, you know, people will say that. Well, I've never raised people from the dead, so that was just kind of like for their context. And so then you take your experience and then you make the word match your experience and it forms your theology versus pressing yourself to have your theology or your experience match theonomy, which is what does it say? And let word interpret itself. Right? That's another thing. You can pull out whatever scripture you want out of context and be like, this is what it says. You have to have the word interpret itself. It all matters. Because then when that happens, you'll be able to have the truth. So I'm not saying take one scripture and be like, that's the scripture. You have to line it up with this character. So these people that say, women are not allowed to preach. They took that one scripture and then they wrapped it up in their Greek mindset and then got handed down some type of whatever. And then they all of a sudden have a theology that if there are women in leadership, they are Jezebel. Well, that is a scripture. You could highlight it if you want. There is a scripture that says, women, go home and be quiet. Ask your husbands at home. There is a scripture that says that. But you have to have the word interpret itself. Okay, take that scripture, line it up to Yeshua. Line it up to the Jewish culture where women were the glory. It was the Greeks that said the women need to be covered up and go home. That's a whole nother teaching. Paul was going to be a Sadducee. I'm sorry. No, he was not. Paul was going to be a Pharisee. Thank you. Two totally different things, and that's another whole teaching. We kind of lump them up together and we judge people, and that is the ninth commandment. Oh, man, there's so much stuff. <laughs> before, wait, before she gets g- going, like. <laughs> <laughs> and this is not me, like, be quiet. It's not that. <laughs> Come on, Greek. <laughs> I'll be preach, woman. I just wanted to. I just wanted to interject an example. You guys real quick. know that story, though, right? What? When we were told that she couldn't preach unless you submit to your husband, so he got up and he was like, "Preach, woman." <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, so on Hebrews 11, right, and having faith and being tied back into, right? Because if you guys remember, we talked about the Commonwealth of Israel, right, which is tied to our heritage and everything that we're supposed to occupy the harvest place and all those type of things. It's interesting, if, you, if we all are in Hebrews 11 and we live our life according to Yahweh, right? And he says that we're gonna walk out our faith and we're not gonna actually see the fruit of our faith, but the next generation will, okay? So let's say Yahweh told everybody in here, you're going to save all your money. You're going to invest every single dime so that your fruit can live a certain manner of life, right? And then imagine if your children living their life as a fruit of what you did Mm -hmm. said, I did this. Mm -hmm. I did this, right? And you you would be sitting up in your heavenly place being just like, 
right? And think of how damaging that is because if they think that way, not only are they dishonoring where they came from and cutting off their inheritance, they're not going to reproduce it. Mm-hmm. It's going to stop with them. Mm-hmm. So, th- so think about Hebrews 11, right? Walking in a manner of faith that you, you operate off of the substance of what you're hoping for, but you don't see it. Right, because we're about legacy in this house. We're about inheritance, and that's—I mean, this this whole displacement replacement thing is just so damaging. Yet we've culturally appropriated it over however many years, and we don't—we've never gone back far enough to see where it started and why. Right? We just accept these things. So go ahead, take. You just like took me. You just now I'm done. I'm like waiting for the catapult. I'm like, no, he just took it. I can way, tell I, you. I, went, I just went way off track. <laughs> I don't even know if I have to finish my thought. I think, what was I even talking about? You, you had like three major <laughs> subjects going. I just, in talking about if you get cut off, and I was talking about the scripture, I, when I say make sure that the scripture interprets itself, because it's easy to be like, well, I went off the scripture. And then you say that that's your truth. And so there is an actual scripture that says that about women, for example. So you have to line it up with the whole word. So you have to line it up with Yeshua. You have to understand. And so what I was getting into is about Paul being a Pharisee. You can understand his background and what he was speaking to and what he was talking about because it was the Greeks that had such a press on women. It was never, the, the Jewish culture is not like that when it comes time to women. And you could see the way that Yeshua was. So my point in all of that is to make sure that when we're operating in theonomy, sometimes it can get twisted where we say, that's my theonomy, and then you're saying that's black and white or that's truth, and you're taking out one scripture just to match your experience. So we just have to make sure that we're understanding that theonomy is coming from a very pure, purified place. I'm done. Uh, My question was, um, let me remember it. Um, Oh, so in Christianity... Your whole goal was, like you said, to make others Christians. So in the Hebrew culture, (laughs) um, our focus is when we introduce others to what Yahweh has given us, it's to introduce to them that they're part of the new man or... So ultimately, when you're talking about like evangelism or being the light, you're not necessarily talking about the one new man that is coming from a place of operating out of maturity to understand where we're going. What you're introducing them to is Yeshua, not Christianity. So the first foundation is, is uh, Shirley has the most perfect, I love it. She's like, man, when I'm talking with my people, it's so hard when I say Jesus, because immediately it's written off, that's the white man guy. That's the white man religion. That's the white man Jesus. You go anywhere and say Jesus. Now, here's the thing. You're preaching. Okay, I'm going to go back to the name. But you're preaching Jesus that Constantine at 325 AD said that's his name and then wrote a Bible with that in it and then you were handed down the NIV version and you were like, this is the guy I love. That's not, I mean... It is the guy, but there's some maturity that comes when like, could you imagine if he's like, I just love Yana. 
Like, my name is Tanya. <laughs> right? She's so gorgeous. She just, I just love her. Yana's so cool. And it's like, what? I, and then she's you? like, you don't even know me. Right? And he's like, oh, no, I know you. And I'm like, no, you're saying the wrong name. <laughs> that would not go over well. <laughs> right? So we have to line that up. So you've got Constantine that says Jesus, and then we say that we know this guy. So ultimately, you're not saying we're the light. Come get saved by a salvation prayer at an altar that's not in the Bible either, and say these words that's not in the Bible either, and say, and say Jesus this, then you're saved into what? So I think, it, I think when we're talking about this is what you're wanting to introduce anyone into is a relationship with Yeshua and you're going back to first century believers and saying, I am a follower of the way. That's why when people say, what are you? Don't say you're a Christian. Because if anything, it just, as soon as you say Christian, it's the white man thing. It's the, it's, the, it's, it's the Jesus thing. Or they automatically have a stigma about Christianity instead of just saying, I am... I am a follower of Yeshua. I have a relationship with it. You know, you're just going back to the basics. And so you're being, a, you want everyone to know Yeshua, right? That's not, when I say we're not the light, that doesn't mean you don't share about him. It's just share about him, not about man. Share about Yeshua. And through sharing about Yeshua, then you will grow sons and daughters into maturity to understand that the purpose is our heart would go out to Israel. So versus being so local-minded because we're an international ministry, our heart and stewardship is going to begin to turn towards Israel so that we can see the fullness of what we've been working towards. That doesn't stop that you don't talk about Yeshua at Walmart. But my heart isn't the program Right here, my heart is what do I need to do for the work in Israel and make sure everybody else knows why I'm going there. Okay. And I know we had a question about this word. Okay. Well, I was going to say too, to add to what Sally, what you were saying is it's good. It, this should stir up, like it, this should ignite a hunger to figure out, you know, the things that we know that are like the standard Christianese, you know, oh, you, you witness, you want to be saved, say this, do this check it off the list, right? Like, and I'm just, I'm way oversimplifying, but to, to ignite a hunger to really dig into the word and, and just find out what, what does it mean to be a follower of the way? What does that look like? How do you, how do you interact with somebody? I'm a disciple somebody? of and, the anointed one. Yeah, it's, I mean, you know, and to find out, to investigate that for yourself, you know, for, for everybody to do that. And all, uh, all this is doing is, oh, I thought you were talking to me. All, all this is doing is bringing some language to what we already know. So what's happening now is in the time of building, we know this stuff, but in our building, now how are we going to walk it out? What's our language? It's like when Kendra says, well, what do I say to people when they're like, what are you? And you're like, what? I actually love that. We could do that for a couple years and that will be more of a light than you being like, I'm a Pentecostal and I go on Sunday and you should meet my preacher. 
I would rather you say, I don't know. I know I'm not. Now, here's what I will say. I am not a Jew, and I am not a Christian. But I am after the culture of Yeshua, who is the manifestation of Yahweh. I am after the original intent. I am pre-snake. I am pre-serpent. I am Adam and Eve, fully naked. That is what I'm after. Can you imagine somebody starts talking to you? What kind of church do you go to? It's not a church. It's this family that I'm a part of who's nuts and we just do life together and we, and we just, but we're naked and we're raw and we're real and we're radical and we're, we're, we're pre-sin. We're finding our original intent. Can you imagine? Somebody might be like, I'll totally go to that thing. <laughs> just say that. We eat naked and you'll have them all here. <laughs> don't be ashamed of our language like this is the building time now you get to be loud about what it is that Yahweh's done and he's going to give us the building tools and talk to us because as we dismantle Christianity we're going to actually learn what a Hebrew does so for example these are the things you can get excited about when we talk about mikvahs a mikvah is a baptism The word baptism came from here. So you know that thing that you buy that's this like round thing with stale water that doesn't move? And you get somebody to be a witness and they grab you and they dunk you. That is not a mikvah. It is not how John the Baptist, the immerser, did any of his baptisms, immersions. That is not how he did it. Don't you guys want to find out what our heritage is and what he did so that we could take a mikvah right now in the shower every day There are rules to a marriage about mikvahs. Can you imagine when you start learning about the heritage of your marriage? Why does the Jewish culture not have divorce? And the white Jesus Christians are just divorcing like nobody's business. I'm pretty sure this white Jesus church thing is not working because our divorce rate is hideous. I kind of want to know what the Jewish culture says. And there's some commitment there. There's some covenant there. There's some, you know, it's not all about your feelings there. Okay? It's about goals and aspirations. And it's about submitting to your parents. What a concept. Right? But But they're succeeding in this stuff. Because there's rules about sexual intercourse and mikvahs and what happens at your time of the month and what it means. And we've got a bunch of, I'm just going to say white people, we've got a bunch of white people sitting at the dinner table. I'm not going to talk about a period. Mm-mm. It's beautiful and it's life and there's, blo- there's, there's blood in the life. That's not what I'm supposed to say. There's life in the blood and what is a mikvah and what happens during that time and start raising our daughters to understand how to purify themselves. And, and, and it, there's so much to our heritage and we're just walking around like, what's the next marriage counselor? <laughs> right? Come on, we barely, even do, we barely even do premarital counseling, let alone really getting into some of this stuff. So my purpose for all this is that we're going to be getting to a place where we're going to build where we can speak about this stuff. We can talk about the things that, that have been handed to us with passion and zeal. Amen. Yes. That was good. <laughs> Rewind. <laughs> Uh, last question, or the last question that I know of on Kingdom Heirs, and then we'll open it up to everybody, was about uh, the Christian. Did you want to read that? 
or we don't need to. I, the word, I think the word was, we've gone over this, but could we go over it again? Where did the word Christian come from? So do you want to touch base on that? Yeah, so this is an interesting subject, and I think if nothing else, we're, I, I want you guys to be equipped to really think about this in terms of the bigger picture, okay? Um, so the term Christian is only mentioned three times in Scripture, twice in Acts, 11.26 and 26.28. Translated Scripture. Right. And then the third is 1 Peter 4.16. Okay. Now, kind of the context behind 1 Peter 4.16 is you have the followers of the way, right? You have disciples, the brethren, the, the things that we were called originally, right? The followers of the way, the disciples, they went into an area uh, that was under the jurisdiction of King Herod Agrippa, okay? He was not a Christian. He was not a follower of the way. He was not a believer. He was not any of these things that he could relate to the disciples. But he knew of them enough to know that they followed a man named Yeshua. And in King Agrippa's opinion, Yeshua, had, he, he was a carrier of a wicked anointing. Okay? He knew he was anointed, but he, in his opinion, it was a wicked anointing. And so when you look at the term Christian in 1 Peter 4.16, it's two words. It's Christi anosios. Christi means anointing, and anosios means wicked. So to King Agrippa, he's looking at these people who he can't, he doesn't know what they're all about, but he knows that they're followers of a wicked one. Okay, so that's the context of, of what's being said. Now, it's interesting because you can look this, and this is why I'm saying just, just go and, and research this for yourself. And I'm not saying, okay, let me say this first, because this, <laughs> this, is, this is one of those weird, to me, it just, there's something about it, okay, and I'll explain why. So, 1 Peter 4.16, this is what the scripture says, Peter's talking to the disciples in response to King Agrippa calling them followers of a wicked one. Okay, this is what Peter is telling to the disciples. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. So, in my opinion, what most Christians will say is, don't be ashamed of the Christian name. Right? Don't be ashamed to be a Christian. Right? He's... That is not what Peter is saying because it says, but glorify him on this behalf. Basically what Peter is saying is, don't be ashamed to be falsely accused mm -hmm. of following somebody who's wicked. It's a, don't be ashamed to bear false accusation. And how you walk that out, how you bear that burden is going to glorify him. There's a difference, right? He's not saying, he's not saying embrace the name Christian. 
Don't, you know, be proud of being a Christian. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, don't be ashamed when you suffer false accusation of following Yeshua and you know he's the truth, but everybody else is saying he's wicked. It's a false accusation. Don't be ashamed. Now, this, I, I was debating whether I should say this or not earlier. Okay, so let's think about this dynamic of being called something bad and taking it as a badge of honor. Mm. Okay? Mm. Let me... <laughs> okay, let me, let me give an example, okay? So going back to the dinner table, right? This is where we, <laughs> we, we confront cultural appropriation yeah. and bring it back to the truth. Okay? My kids... Mm-hmm. It doesn't even have to be my kids. It could be my peers that I grew up with. Okay? This is what I liken this to. This is the best way I can explain this dynamic. Okay? Uh, colored folk, right? Back in the day. <laughs> Look at, oh, boy. Okay? <laughs> Don't say it. What? Well, this is why I was debating it, right? So at some point in time, black people were referred to as niggers. Okay? Right? Terrible. Pete a little. Terrible. Just like King Herod said, they're followers of a wicked one. He was a king Mm -hmm. labeling a group of people. You follow a wicked anointing. Mm Okay? Okay? And that's and why Peter said, don't be ashamed yeah. to be falsely accused for following the truth. Mm-hmm. Okay? That would be like somebody calling my son the N-word and me saying, don't be ashamed of the color of your skin because somebody puts that term on you. But then okay? turning it and saying, why don't you own it and be like, yeah, I am. And but start now, calling each other. Yep. Now... Fast mm-hmm. forward centuries, yeah. decades forward, it's and a, you got a whole culture mm-hmm. running around. What's up? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, it's, oh, yeah, it's cool. There's white kids at the school mm-hmm. saying it to my kids. Mm-mm. So, okay, so that's when we get at the table, and I go, okay, let's go back. Okay, mm-hmm. this is not a badge of honor. No. Okay? This is not, and this is where, you know, I'm, I'm not going to. I'm not going to die on this hill with another Christian in the community or another pastor. I'm not, I'm not going to like die on this hill. Okay. But as for me and my house, we're going to talk about it. Okay. (laughs) This isn't something that I'm going to debate with somebody to the death. Okay. Whatever you think it, that's what 416 says. Embrace the Christian name, glorify God by the Christian name. I don't believe Peter was rallying the disciples on the, on the basis of the Christian name is what's going to glorify God. That's not what's going to glorify God. It's how they walk as followers and how they continue to follow him in a culture that's, that's labeling them as followers of a wicked anointing. If my kids suffer racism, I'm going to say, don't you dare be ashamed of what you look like because people are judging you for what you look like, right? So this is, you know, I could, I could see if I brought, I don't even, I don't bring this up in conversation because. <laughs> but at the dinner table. At the dinner table, I will, 
with my family, I will. Right? I, won't, I wouldn't just put this on Facebook, <laughs> like a post about this. I wouldn't do it because then it'd whatever. Okay? But it's, people will dismiss it as, well, you're, you know, you're splitting hairs. To me, you're not splitting hairs. If we talk about the analogy that I just talked about, mm-hmm. I would never say, oh, somebody called you that? You should be yeah, proud of it. Hair just accept it. You should just go with it. Right? I'm, I'm not going to tolerate some level of appropriation that, that is the culture is trying to put on my kids, right? I don't want the culture to dictate the confidence of their identity. I want to do that. And that's what Peter was doing in the face of what they were dealing with, okay? And remember that those scriptures were defining something during that time where it wasn't even the word Christian, right? It was Christi Anosios, right? That's the word that was actually used, and then it gets interpreted as Christian, right? But it was Christi Anosios. Anosios. Okay. Now, fast forward to what we taught last week. 300 AD is when Catholicism says we're Christians. So it's not even something that was used during first century, they didn't even, it was something that King Agrippa was trying to, was, was saying about them, Christi Anosios, wicked, the wicked one, that, that they're following the anointed one that's wicked. But ultimately, the religion of Christianity is, remember, the whole New Testament was written before 70 AD, right? So you fast forward to 300 AD, this is after Yeshua's gone, then the uh, the, uh, the council gets together and basically starts the Catholic religion that has given you all of your Bible translations and has said that we are Christians, okay? So then when you go back and read the word that's translated Christian, you're filtering that first Peter from all that you've learned about Christianity and thought that Peter was fighting to be a Christian. He didn't even know the Catholics were going to start their own religion. He didn't even know Christianity was going to be a thing. Christianity was not a thing. Never once does Yeshua say anything about you being a Christian. Not once. So when, when Peter's talking, Peter was a disciple of Yeshua. Yeshua never told him to be a Christian. He didn't know anything about Christianity. There's no such thing. He knew about the anointed one and he knew about the wicked one, but he didn't know anything about Christianity. So then when you go back and you read 1 Peter, you're reading it from a filter of 1,700 years of Catholicism, not to mention, we're not Catholics. Well, yeah, because we're Protestants. So then 500 years ago, we broke away from Catholicism, became Protestants, and then just kind of divided out from there. So then we're Christians still founded on a religion that started 300 years later when you guys, it's going to be crazy when we dissect this. When I tell you that there was a man that got with a council that said, forget everything Hebrew. We're changing the day that Sabbath is. We're going to change all the holidays. We're going to, we're going to forget the feasts. We're going to, we're going to talk about women. We're going to, we're going to say the way the family should run. And it has nothing to do with what anything that Yeshua stood for. We're going to define baptisms. I mean, they, they came in and changed everything 
and, 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 and said, this is Christianity, essentially, okay? So now we're Christians, and then we read the word about the, those three times in the word where it says Christian, and we think that it's talking about the same thing, and it's not. It's two totally separate things. Christianity did not even start until 200 years after the Bible was written. But translations happened after the Bible was written. So then they use those translations, and then you're reading through those translations based off of what they started. Is that making sense? So when you're reading it, when I say the word interprets the word, understand Peter, where was he? He was a disciple of Yeshua. So what, how could he even be talking about Christianity? There was no Christianity. There was a Christ. Obviously, the word Christian is kind of an easy word. I mean, Christ is in it. Just like, well, Christmas must be about Christ. <laughs> Christ mass, and it is. There's a mass for Christ. It's Catholic. We all have done it, saying we're Christians, but we're not, right? I mean, it's just such a, there's the hair splitting, <laughs> so anyways, does that make sense about Peter and understanding that not only what he's saying is one aspect of it, but understanding that the word Christianity did not even come about until 300 years later in the way we know it. The word Christian was there as Christ Christonosios, right? But not Christian as we know it because that wasn't even a part of the Bible. Okay? All right. Those were the questions that were on Vox. So it's open. You guys got like 20 minutes of us. What do you want? <laughs> what do you want for twenty minutes? Anybody have any other questions? Amber's got one. Um, at the beginning of the lesson last week, you said that church and state weren't separate. Can you talk about that? Like, what did that look like? So in the in the in Constantine's era, he was a ruler over Rome, and he wanted to institute Christianity, or you know, he wanted to institute his the way that he felt religion should be walked out. But by nature of his position as a as a ruler at that time, he represented the government, but he was dictating religion. So they're like, if you look at that as opposed to our nation, there's a separation of church and state. You're not supposed to have a, a nationally sponsored religion that everybody has to be a part of. Whereas in Rome, everybody had to follow suit and this is how you're going to do religion and this is the religion of Rome. So that's that's what I meant by that. There was, it wasn't like what we're used to, separation of church and state, right? Back then, it was the same thing. Um, I had a question about, uh, like, Israel hardened to the Messiah. Why? And now, how is that Yahweh's plan? Say that. Say the beginning part uh, again. 
Israel hardened to the Messiah? Do you want me to read the whole question again? Yes. Okay. Israel hardened to the Messiah. Why? How is that Yahweh's plan? Because the easiest way for me to answer that, that if Israel had not, we would not have access. So he, it's, and it talks about it in uh, Isaiah, in the prophets, that a partial hardening has happened, and, and Paul talks about it, that because that house or that part of the house was hardened towards that, it afforded us the ability through grace to be able to be grafted in, which is why our job or our light is to soften their hearts to see so that we can all come into the fullness. But we'll miss it if we think, well, they were hardened and we're grafted in, and so now we're done. Because once we're grafted in, he even talks about, like, I could easily remove you as well. And so there's an aspect where it made room for us because that hardening has happened. That makes sense. What? Oh. How can I begin to walk in a Hebrew mindset in in my everyday life? Um. Well, one, there's a couple things. I'm excited about what we're going to get into because the more we learn about our Hebrew culture, the more it's just going to teach us to be naturally a part of our bloodline. Because, you know, we've talked about like the Greek mindset, like wrong versus right. And then Hebrew is, you know, thinkers, uh, like circular thinkers. When we start getting into what Greeks actually did back then, we're going to begin to see actually a whole, we're going to begin to understand why we see what we see in our culture. So the more we learn about our Hebraic lifestyle, we're going to be able to just walk in it more and more. So that's going to come. But the best way I would think is to, when you're walking out your everyday life, that would probably be my biggest advice, is try to make sure that you're thinking non-competitive. The best way for me to explain it probably for like you guys is to not be competitive. Does that make sense when I say that? You're not in competition with anyone. You're in your full identity. Everyone's perspective adds to the table. You're thinking um, circular. It's, you're not linear. It's not black and white. It's, there's just a lot of color in your life. Does that make sense? Does anybody else have questions about how to be a Hebrew thinker along with that? Not being intimidated is another one. Competi- this is for, I mean, this is for all of us. Not being in competition, not being intimidated uh, by other perspectives or even something that might feel off, you know, like how we've been taught. In the, you have discernment. Don't you be scared. I don't go in there. <laughs> Versus like, it ain't, it ain't around when I, I mean, I can't remember what somebody said. I remember walking in somewhere and we were talking about, I don't know, maybe some disease. And I was like, well, it ain't there when I walk in. And they were like, there you go. You're just having that mindset of being able to, just not having fear, so you're not in competition, you're just at peace with a lot of that stuff. Go ahead, Matilda. Wow. Um, You look scared. I am scared. Um, (laughs) You know, just knowing um, the name of uh, Yahshua, I mean, uh, that's just so different from the 30 years, you know, that I've been claiming to be Christian, and, you know, I worship, and I ask Jesus and all that. And um, so I noticed I've gotten, I've always been really um, like a fighter inside, inside as a person that I am. 
And I, I just love a good fight. I just love to hurt you know, somebody and harm somebody and just, I like to try to be the one that, 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 you know, gets the upper hand. I don't know how you say it right, but um, I just do that. And so during Trump and all that, I, I started to fight with the Democrats and I'm like, oh, I love this man. I love it. You know, I'm Republican and I, you know, Trump is in office and oh, this is my time because all my relatives, all my loved ones, people from back home, you know, all the natives, they're Democrats. So I'm like, yes, now's my chance. You know, oh, I love having the floor. I just came against them full force. You know, I was like, yeah, Trump, you know, he's doing this, he's doing that. And come on, Democrats, you know, what you got to give me, you know, throw it at me, I'm ready. And, and, and then one day, I, I got to the point where I was so crazy about Trump um, that I started to think, how am I witnessing? How am I reaching my loved ones now? Now that I've completely turned them all uh, you know, against me, mm. I'm just like, how now, God, how? Um, and, and, and he's just like putting me back in place where he's saying, hey, you know, Matilda, hey, I'm Yahshua. You know, I won't mispronounce your name. I know your name. <laughs> so he's so wonderful. He's so intimate. He's so gentle. And he's setting me back in place. And I also came across the scripture, you do not wrestle against flesh and blood, mm -hmm. but against, you know, principalities and all that, and rulers and in high places. And um, so I had to repent and I had to ask Yeshua, forgive me. I am mm -hmm. so sorry. You know, I took advantage. I had a lot of fun doing it. But... <laughs> You know, that, that's not who you want me to be. So he's re, resetting my button, Amen. doing the reset button here. Reset button is yes. good. Amen. Well, and, and that's what's so awesome about we all, we want, we, when you're talking about not flesh and blood, we love a fight. It's knowing where to fight, right? And Yeshua, he was a fighter, man. This is the thing that we're going to get into. So Yeshua, he sat with the sinner's. When you start to really understand the culture of who Matthew, who wrote one of the most beautiful books in the Bible, a tax collector, was the worst of the worst. When you find out what that actually means and who they were working for, like Herod, Matthew, tax collector, working for Herod, who was after them, and Yeshua was like sitting with them. But man, when it came time to talking against the Sadducees, why? Because the Sadducees were self-righteous, full of pride, thought they knew better. They had the law, they had everything, and they had all this man tradition. And, and, and so it's just, it's so interesting what we're taught to fight. And then when you, the name Yeshua, and you get to know his culture, you know what to fight, where to fight it, and what to, what to love and what to have relationship with. Matilda, I think everyone's reset button is getting reset <laughs> yeah. with every conversation that we end up having, right? So. Yes. It's a big... Um, so this isn't, this isn't like an exact quote, but something last week was said along the lines of um, dismantling and repentance will both be part of the process of understanding our heritage. Um, I wanted to... I wanted to just ask a question, I guess, because I, I think that... Um, in certain, in certain like Christian mindsets, repentance will have a connotation of like, 
I'm, I'm sorry, I'm apologetic. It's like a, it's like a very meek, woe, you know, it's, it's got that kind of a connotation. And I know that that's not the way that our family's supposed to walk this stuff out is like apologetic, beat down, sorry for everything, but moving forward in, in, a, in a level of boldness. So how, how can we position ourselves when we're moving forward in this, in this new area of heritage and understanding and going back to those, those really deep root levels, um, walking in a way of like reconciling and walking in that dismantling, in that repentance, but not doing it in that Christian way where it's like, I'm, I'm sorry, or, or overly apologetic. Um, I believe that there are going to be moments as we walk through this that I think a lot, okay, remember when I started off saying when you have a new revelation, you may have to go back. So we've got blood versus blood. And in that level of our family, it was, a lot of it was my biological parents and my spiritual parents. Okay. Get through that process. <laughs> because when we go through blood versus blood, it's going to be Jew, Gentile. <laughs> it's going to, so you're going to have, so there's going to be these moments where when I say repentance, it's going to be this um, uh, it, 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 there's going to be moments where it's going to be hard because we're going to have to realize what we've adopted into, especially when we start talking about anti-Semitism and stuff like that. So there's going to be that level of repentance of being able to just really acknowledge and be those gap standard bearers that can say on my behalf, this is what I'm doing. And at the same time, we're going to be bold that once we have the knowledge, it's time for us to move on. It's not for us to sit and relish in and be like, oh my, can you believe this? And we just stay there. It's to have the proper understanding so that we can go into the regions beyond. Meaning we need to acknowledge it. We need to have some of those hard conversations. Like when you have dinner tables discussions with your kids, that's not the whole story, but sometimes we just need to get at some things. There's those moments, but then once those moments happen, Get your bags, let's go. Like it's, we're, we're moving on, meaning it's gonna be hard when we start realizing that some of our history has taught us to hate a group of people and that there's some kind of underlying stuff there. There's gonna be some repentance, but once that happens, now what are we gonna do with that? So there's gonna be an empowerment that comes with it. I don't know if that answers your question, but I think that that's how we're gonna, we're gonna have to be sober-minded when we look at this stuff, take it serious, be real about it. It's definitely not like, well, I'm sorry, it's going to be this, I just see in the spirit a real like, uh, if you're going to be the part of the ministry of reconciliation, you're basically going to be taking on the sins of your uh, past and saying it ends with me. Well, what kind of process is that in your natural family? There's a process of ownership. I can't say with my family, well, it isn't mine. I have to, how, how is it in me? How do I let this say that this is in me so that I can overturn it so that I can move forward and build a legacy on truth? So I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, I think too, um, if you think of repentance, just in the big picture, right? When you were born again, it was through repentance. You were going about your business, about your life a certain way. And here comes Yeshua and says, drop everything and follow me. And so I think a lot of what we're going to encounter, and this is why it's 
it's hard, right? Because the Christian culture, right? You, it's, we're just, we're in it. And so we're good, right? So if all of a sudden there's this revelation of truth and we realize that we need to follow that greater truth or that understanding that we now have, if we have to drop everything, right? You may have to drop certain elements of your Christianity to follow Yeshua. And it's not a, I mean, when you were born again, I I remember there was this, I could feel the weight and the sorrow of what was happening, but I was like, I couldn't wait to go just tell everybody, right? Like it's, so to, to your point, I, I think it's, it's challenging. These things are going to challenge us, but at the same time, if we all sharpen each other and we're all digging for the truth, right? And the words interpreting the word and we're realizing we're getting revelation about who he is and maybe that we've been following something that isn't him in some way, shape or form, that the challenge would be that we drop that just like Yeshua challenged the fishermen, drop your nets and follow me, leave everything. I mean, I think that's kind of, the degree of some of the things that we're going to be talking about. And it is at its simplest form, it's stopping the direction you were going and you're turning and following the truth. Yeah. Ultimately the definition of repentance is not, I'm sorry at all. It doesn't have anything to do with an apology. That's one of the things that's one again, again, kingdom heirs 101. Let's go back to the beginning with our children. Sorries are for accidents. She goes like this and hits it. I'm sorry. Okay. That's fine. You're next. You can totally put your hand down. I'll, I'll call on you next. Uh, that's an I'm sorry. You do something where somebody's heart's turn. The, the, uh, the foundation in our family is will you forgive me and then state what you did. It's not a, I'm sorry I hit you. It's will you forgive me I hit you. It's asking a question and putting it in their court so that they learn how to say yes, I will forgive you instead of fine, Okay, so, so repentance doesn't have anything to do with I'm sorry. It has to do with you're going in a direction. Stop. Turn back to what Yahweh is saying. It, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a I'm going down this road, and he is telling our family, stop. We're going back to the original intent. So when we talk about repentance, it's not necessarily like sorry, but there is in that, whoa, that was a hard turn. There is going to be some like, I can't believe I was going in that direction, you know? And at the same time, get your stuff and let's go. We're going back to the beginning, right? So there's, there's both aspects to repentance. Okay. And Eric's got one. And then Rena has one. So I, I just, this really popped for me. When you, when you were sharing the story last week about uh, Boaz being the kinsman redeemer for Ruth, it just got, I mean, it just... It just felt like Yahweh was really just starting to stir up a lot of stuff. And one thing that came up was um, she was a Moabite-ess. And Moab came from Abraham's family. They were messed up, but they were part of Abraham's family. And um, so they were just a really, you know, it's like, so they're, they're, they're over here. And I just, and it was just like, I just the word Rahab. And I didn't, I didn't realize at the time, it's like, Rahab was Boaz's mother. And I just like, so here you have Rahab, who absolutely was brought in and made a part of that family. And their son duplicated that with Ruth. And I just see that as legacy 
in this one man generating that opportunity for others to come in. Mm -hmm. And I just, for me, that was really important. And it just, it was, I just, you know, it was like, you know, that light bulb moment. So that was something I just wanted to share because it was just like Boaz, his mom was a pagan prostitute who became part of the family. Mm -hmm. And then he was able to bring somebody else in. And I just think that was really powerful, the legacy on that one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you follow lineage through the mother. So that's how you'll know who is from where. And there's stories after stories after stories about those prototypes or those examples of what it is that we're to be doing and being grafted in. And even coming from Abraham's family, we have to recognize when we get into this, now here, just so that you guys have some vision, so you guys understand where we're going, we're starting with first century. So we're untwisting some things that are real to us from Yeshua's time on. Once that gets untwisted, we're going all the way back to the tribes. And we're going to find out what tribe we're a part of. We're going to find out where we've come from. And I just want you guys to know that out of the tribes, there are Gentiles. And I said this last year. I said this last year. I said this last week that out of Joseph, he married an Egyptian woman. And his two sons who were adopted by Jacob are Gentile because you go through the mother's line. So even going back to Abraham, there is Gentile. So there's just story after story after story of him trying to get what the purpose of all this is for. So that's great. Um, Yahweh is our family, but why? Yahweh is our family, but why is he our family? Because he is the creator of all things. He is the father of all things. He's the reason why the earth is here. The stars are here. It's why Rena's here. Without Yahweh, we, we, would just, we, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't be anything. So that's why. Does that make sense? <laughs> Amen. All right, come on up. Good family dinner? Family breakfast dinner? <laughs> Thank you for listening to this message from Kingdom Heirs International. If you have received insight and revelation with this message, we invite you to claim that revelation by trading on the trading floor with this ministry. You can do that at kingdomheirsflag.org. Thank you.